Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, the podcast that pulls back, turns the lens, adjusts its focus, and sits squarely in the round amid all that makes our lives worthwhile. That's a whole lot of verbiage there to simply say we talk about stuff we like. And tonight, we're going to run amok in nostalgia and enter the world of music. My name is Steve. You can call me Foggy. And tonight, I'm with my boys, Tony. Hey, you can call me Teabags. And Paul. You can call me Just Plain Paul. Or JPP for short. Just Plain Paul. Um, let's get the show started off a little bit. Uh, we're going to be talking about nostalgic things to us. Um, our history with music. Things we've done recently and things we're looking forward to coming up. Uh, Tony, you want to kick us off a little bit um, talking about your history with music? Yeah, sure. Um, it's funny because my history with music is actually always kind of being around music and not able to really do it. So uh, being an artist, <laughs> I was either either artist or techie. I was either helping record or design covers or do anything like that. But music has always been, you know, I think some at some point in your life you just get hooked find out it's a soundtrack and I just wanted to be around it all my life. And, uh, now I kind of find myself trying to dabble in it a little bit with the help of Paul. And, uh, so really, yeah, my history is like, uh, I guess also I should mention, cause this will probably come up in our podcast. I'm a lyricist at heart. So, you know, I can enjoy a good instrumental, but uh, I always fall in love with the lyrics. So, um, but just being around music, um, in, in all of those capacities, at least let me kind of sit in the room with the artists, and it's something that I've appreciated then and still appreciate now. All right, Paul. Well, um, music's been kind of in my bloodstream for a very long time. It started off with, uh, as a kid, I grew up on a farm, and my parents bought a Commodore 64. Of course, my mom was using it, using it for database and paperwork and all the not-so-fun stuff, but... Uh, when you get into the world of games, especially on a Commodore 64, it had particular sounds that were very synth-driven, um, and they just kind of got me hooked on music in the first place. There was notation software um, and little things I could dabble with to write my own music. Got a hold of a Casio SK-1, started sampling and doing little things there in fifth grade, and uh, my parents reluctantly bought me a guitar when I was in eighth grade, and the main reason they were reluctant is my siblings got instruments and they ended up in the closet, and they just didn't want to see the same thing happen. But, you know, little did they know that I was very driven to want to pursue music. And uh, fast forward through several bands, music school, um, even, you know, a career in the pro audio industry. I still write to this day. As you can see, I've got some toys that I compose with behind me. And, um, you know, if I'm not listening to it, I'm writing and recording it in some way, shape or form. Yeah, well, Paul most certainly is the only musician, true musician in this group. Yeah. Um, but all of us, I think, fall into that category of uh, becoming old. And so we, uh, we have a different experience with music than kids today uh, downloading digital. We actually went to record stores. And we bought records. I was fortunate when I was growing up that uh, my brothers always had jobs and liked to spend their money on turntables and receivers and great speakers. So, uh, and I too had a, a paper route and we'd buy vinyl records and, uh, we even had some eight tracks. I remember Bootzilla. That was pretty awesome back in, back in the day. Um, and, uh, I remember saving up my money to buy my first boom box, which was great. It had two cassette decks so I could, uh, record from one to the other. Um, I remember recording from the radio. You'd hear that one song you'd been waiting for all day and then, uh, you'd record it. And it was a great quality copy <laughs> just so you keep playing that over and over. Um, and I'm sure all three of us made mixtapes for people, for girlfriends, oh, yeah. 
uh, for your pals, whatever. So, uh, oh, yeah. Hey, speaking of the uh, recording off the radio, I, I don't know about you, but if there's a song I haven't heard in a long time, there are still some tunes that when I hear them, I'm waiting for the DJ to cut in right at the end to start talking about you know what else was going on or be caller number nine. Don't forget, folks, and oh, all yeah. that kind of stuff. I was stuff. talking to Tony about this the other day. Did did either of you ever send in the uh, long distance dedication? I did uh, on Z ninety two five. I never sent it in, but I, I listened to well, it. All you know, the and time. what's funny is, um, <laughs> I back in the day, and I'm sure we'll get into how our musical tastes have changed, but I remember sending out like some sort of like Peta Cetera song to like a girl or something, and you know, then like, then you get jaded by that same girl and you end up with Nine Inch Nails. So, you know, <laughs> the nice. past kind of winds quite a leap. Like that. <laughs> Oh goodness! Uh, speaking of Nine Inch Nails, um, this doesn't quite go back all the way to our childhoods, but I think all of us have been fans for uh, a long time. Uh, the new album came out recently, mm-hmm. and uh, let's kick the show off with a little bit of review of the latest Nine Inch Nails. I think it's only appropriate that uh, we let Tony kick it off because he is the Uber Trent fan. So Tony, <laughs> well, I think Paul might be a close second too. So, but. Um... Okay, let me tie this into nostalgia again one more time. Uh, back in the days when Karma existed in the record stores, uh, we had somebody gave Mary and my sister, which is now Steve's wife, um, a single "Down in It" by Nine Inch Nails. And at the time, I don't know how you guys were, but you could only really listen to one thing. Like if you're heavy metal, you couldn't listen to rap. You know, it was very segmented and. Down in it sounded a little bit too rappy for me. I was into Metallica at the time. And it turns out that Nine Inch Nails then became my favorite band, you know, after, well, Trent Reznor became my favorite band after some time. But, you know, that was when you had no cultivation or no reviews, no podcasts, nothing. It was just some cool guy at the record store that, like, knew his stuff and, and happened to get a single in. So before we dive into that, can we just stay on the nostalgia a little bit? Like, how did you guys find music back in the day? Uh, Paul, for me, um, you know, a lot of it was word of mouth and just passing cassettes around my peer group. We would borrow each other's copies of, of something. Um, it's funny because, man, don't don't laugh too hard. But my buddy Winston and I in, in fifth grade were really big into the Fat Boys and Run DMC. And <laughs> yeah. same. so that was actually kind of our first musical performance. We lip synced that in our music talent show uh, when we were in like fourth or fifth grade so you know we were still kids so it, you know i'll allow it but uh uh winston as well um it, later that year for i think for christmas he got a guitar and he brought it to school and was showing me seek and destroy i'm like what is this i must check this out further and he brought me a copy of injustice for all the next day and peace sells by megadeth so uh i took them home and i listened to them on headphones so my parents wouldn't scream and shout what is that but uh-huh. uh it scared the daylights out of me and i absolutely loved it it was like this stuff is intense and thus the real journey began and uh winston and i you know we both had our guitars and we would get together we'd learn riffs we'd write riffs and we'd start uh really just digging in and then our friend circle got bigger and we started passing things around and one friend's like hey man you're in the white lion well not really but are you into uh, megadeth or obituary no never heard it check it out and next thing you know like the Maxell effect happened to him. Whoa. 
what is this? And thus began, you know, our kind of community of, of uh, a certain genre that just drilled deeper and deeper. In fact, uh, not to get too into the weeds, but at our, at our 10 year high school reunion, one guy that he was always awesome. We never hung out like exclusively, but he came up to us and said, you know, I sat behind you in eighth grade and I overheard you talking about Guar and, you know, I had to go check them out because you guys were talking about it and you guys created my own underground music journey. And I was always obsessed, obsessed with finding bands that I'd never heard before. So, you know, even to this day, I'm always finding blogs or, you know, online magazines that talk about groups that I've never heard of before. That's why I'm so into synthwave and stuff like that. It's not necessarily a predominant genre, but, you know, it's something that gravitates to me. And, and uh, you know, there's a community out there that is completely into it. And, uh, you know, it feels like, you know, kind of the back in the old days to this day. All right. That's yeah, cool. for me, it was uh, it was pretty simple because, you know, I had older brothers uh, in my house. And so I was really influenced by whatever they brought home. Um, so back in the seventies, um, got a lot of rush, which now to this day is still one of my all time favorites. Um, cheap trick, the cars, sweet. Uh, that was huge for me in the seventies. And then, um, and you know, of course, kiss Peter Frampton. I mean, all that stuff kind of went through there and then 80, I think it was what 81 hit. I'm like 10 years old, sixth grade and MTV rolls around. Uh, and talk about as a kid, one of the coolest things ever, you know, it was the videos on a loop every couple hours, yeah. you could see your favorite video and, uh, yes, MTV played music videos at <laughs> one point in time. And, uh, but that was awesome. We were middle school. Uh, I don't know if you'd really liken it to YouTube necessarily, cause you can't really choose what you're listening to, but it might've been our YouTube back in the day. And then, uh, from there, I mean, it was just what your friends listened to. Like Paul said, you share stuff, somebody suggests something, somebody brings something to the table, and everybody checks it out. Um, lots of old school music sharing with uh, cassette tapes, uh, mm -hmm. then eventually, you know, CDs and things like that. So, um, and that brings us all the way up to, you know, our uh, Apple Music and Spotify and those kind of things for sharing. So that's kind of my story. Yeah. Okay. Um well, I'll jump back into Nine Inch Nails then, because, uh, I mean, we're talking about all this time, and they've been going since the mid, the late 80s, so. Um, I'll preface it with, and I've told you guys this kind of off the air, but the this is very hard for me to review <laughs> this one, because out of his entire catalog, this is the only one that I'm, like, really having to sit with and, and try to let it grow on me. Um, and it's the third part of this trilogy that they've put out since... Um, add violence and not the actual events but um so i don't even really know where to start with this other than i mean since it's part of the trilogy let me say that the the other two was very refreshing to me because uh every nine inch nails has a lot of different sounds and a lot of different faces i think kind of um even though it's trent all the time i think he tries to recreate himself and um i've seen this be something that like okay, this is Trent not caring again in the good way, like Trent used to <laughs> just getting in the studio, making noise and having fun. And, but still trying to keep that story arc in a world where we don't really have concept albums anymore. You know, there's not one track bleeds into the next. We have, like you said, Spotify and Apple music and it's click on the track you want or have an ad pop up in the middle. So I think he's trying to recreate that, that same experience of having a, a concept album, but in a more digestible way by having it come out in three parts 
Um, and this is just happens to be my least favorite of this one. And if I were to pinpoint it, and obviously I want you guys to weigh in on all of this, but if I were to pinpoint it, it's because he tried a new vocal style. And that's something I'm never used to with him. Um, I don't care when he did How to Destroy Angels with his wife and let her take the lead and he was doing the backing vocals. Or, you know, Trent does sing too. So he screams, he sings, he talk raps or whatever. He, he does everything. So, But this one sounded like he was trying to be Bowie. And that was real hard for me because I love Bowie. I love Trent. They were good friends. And he actually did a great job. It just took me out of the normal Nine Inch Nails experience. And that could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. I'm not sure. But that's what I pinpoint it to. Music is solid to me. And when he's not switching vocal styles, I find myself liking it. But when it gets to that point, it just feels weird. So what, do you, what do you guys think? Have you guys given it a listen? Well... Um, I have, and I think I told you the first time, I, I think you Tony had shared one of the tracks with me before it came out, and um, I told you I thought it was a little flat. Mm-hmm. Um, I Was it Ahead of Ourselves? Uh, probably God Break Down the Door. I think that was the first one. Yes, yeah, that's what it was. And yeah, I felt like his voice was a little flat, and then um, I listened, after it came out, a couple of times, a song here, a song there, never together. I didn't like it, but when I listened to the whole uh-huh. I kind of dug a little bit more I like that we had some soft horns in one song and it carried over to the next kind of made it feel like a, a cohesive unit and uh, Tony I know I've talked to you in the past about this but and for everybody out there I don't typically make playlists I don't right. pick my favorite songs and put them in a list together I actually since <laughs> since cassette tapes made my first two playlists probably a week ago <laughs> i listen to albums beginning to end <laughs> i just think the experience uh should be what the artist intended so that's just how i always listen uh so i felt like doing that on this record i felt like it was a little more cohesive the flatness in his voice or the change in his voice which you mentioned tony didn't bother me as much because uh-huh. uh, it felt like a good solid piece of music i enjoyed it this time uh, more than i did on the first initial listening okay that's fair. Paul? Yeah, you know, I'm kind of with Steve on that one, too. I mean, I, I see your point as well, and I'm not trying to say this diplomatically like, like we're having a heated discussion, yeah. but, you know, I mean, it's, it's just what I feel like with this response, but it really boils down to I was taken aback by the vocal style as well. I thought, what? what's going on here but once i kind of dug into the whole project and of course when i'm listening to it i'm usually multitasking typing away with the day job or something like that but um it it felt more cohesive to me in in that regard um one thing trent always does i mean he stays consistent formulaically as far as like if that's even a word with this formula of Mm -hmm. uh you know writing so everything has its own hooks good chorus that kind of thing and i felt like he kind of break broke away from that a little bit this time around and it was a lot more abstract, like the, uh, especially God breaks down the door with the, with the uh, uh, bass line that's just kind of running and nonstop, and the, the drums are intense and stuff. And it just it just kind of felt like there was some uh, uh, room for experimentation. Like he felt a little revitalized and wanted to kind of break loose and, and you know probably paying tribute to Bowie in, in some aspect as well. But uh, you know just really maybe even tapping into his influence of Bowie, where uh, you know with Bowie's albums as he got older and, and his career progressed in the 90s he was doing a lot more intense experimental stuff that was considered 
a lot more abstract even from his earlier stuff. So, um, you know, we've seen the journey for, of Trent from, uh, you know, probably some of the unreleased demos that kind of leaked that were more happy and poppy to oh, yeah. pretty hate machine. It's on, on down the line. So, you know, to see where he's at in this journey, I, I, I certainly have mixed emotions, long story short, but I can certainly respect his his path and where he's at with it um you know it's kind of funny too my one of my professors at ball state uh, when i was in college he was one of my recording professors he went to a recording studio to take classes at night and uh, he used to be an engineer for nasa and he was kind of burned out and wanting to get into his creative thing well it turns out that the instructor for the recording classes was trent Reznor, and uh it's very interesting because he said that you know he was always a quiet calm guy and really spoke and, and talked about the concept of recording and taught very well and invited everyone to the to a show one evening so he went and he's like he was a different person it was it turned into this guy that picked up his guitar player and threw him out into the crowd and yeah. i'm glad i sat in the back and you know all that kind of stuff so yeah. you know it's just cool to see that uh you know even in in um you know, through the years, essentially, as he's gotten older, he still has the energy to continue. He hasn't let the industry completely burn him out. He's always trying something. Yeah. And I think, and it's funny that you mentioned like the older stuff because, okay, I mean, I am kind of like refusing to review this, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because I still need to sit with it some more Mm -hmm. because Trent, I mean, let's face it. If you did get a hold of those, like if anybody can find like purest feeling, which was on the demos for pretty hate machine, it's very happy Trent with saxophone, you know, fast forward to 2018, here's crooning Trent with saxophone and, you know, it's kind of full circle in some ways, but, but having not had that at the time, only having, you know, pretty hate machine into broken, that was the tone set for me that this guy is not going to do the same thing twice, you know, because pretty hate machine is not broken. Broken is not downward spiral downward spiral is not fragile and so on i mean there's a theme or there's a feel to it but um he does go back and reinvent and i can listen to his soundtracks in a whole different light too i mean when he and atticus do some stuff so mm-hmm. and, and i think that's my refusal to um to really review it hardcore because i feel like it's going to click with me too <laughs> like i'm going to get on the same page with you guys at some point because you know if you could go from pretty hate machine to broken and still stick with the same guy I probably can get behind what he's doing here. I just, I coming off of the other two EPs and I know he's calling this one an album, but you know, coming off the other two EPs like, uh, you know, field on fire, uh, you know, those types of songs, that's like classic what I've been yearning for. So I think it's just like a, it's a cross section of having me have to try to figure out what he's doing here in this last piece of it. And also, like give up my own want, what I want to hear for what he wanted to put out. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. But I, but I trust him. And the other day I just heard a, an, a, like an unreleased mad season track or something. And I was like really looking forward to lane, you know, being on there. And it was the lead singer for screaming trees who I don't dislike, but it felt out of place, you know, sure. especially seeing the old black and white mad season cover on the thumbnail is like, I just wanted lane right there you know totally. and so right now i kind of just want like one version of trip but i'm willing to give this other one a try and i have seen some live footage and loved it so um 
uh, I'll come back and give it a, like a star rating at some point in time. <laughs> cool. Well, you know, too, it's funny. Um, and there's albums that, that have hit me in, in a way where I was taken aback and, and not really sure how to feel about it and uh, give it a couple years where I table it and then I come back to it. And it's like, all right, this is the right time for me to, to enjoy this. You know what I mean? It, it maybe it's, you know, we were just at two different points in our lives uh, where the artist was conveying something and I just really wasn't li- willing to listen to that. Um, you know, case in point, I was on a rabbit hole on YouTube the other day uh, on the TV. It was on in the background while the family was you know, doing whatever it was we're doing, just hanging out and stuff. And uh, a Queen tune came on. It was a remix of it, actually. And I told my wife, it's like, I really feel kind of guilty that I didn't give Freddie Mercury a chance when he was still around. Um, you know, I was kind of off in my own vein, much to your point with having the, the segmented tastes. But, uh, you know, it just hit me at the right way when it came on. Right. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, so I'm curious what you guys, if you guys were, Steve, obviously, if you have more to say on it, go ahead. But I'd like to hear what you guys, since you're willing to review it, you know, out of five stars, what do you guys give uh, this one? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> this is going to be, mine's not tentative. I'm going to give it probably a three and a half to four stars. But I will say it seems to be on a trajectory of me digging it the more I listen to it because I haven't listened to, you know, typically you listen to an album a hundred times, you know, by the time you're done or more. Right. Um, and I'm not even close to that yet. So I think I'm just getting into that appreciation zone. So mm-hmm. who knows by the time I'm done, I just, I think it suffice to say, none of us think that's a stinker, right? That there are issues. I think where Paul was coming from where we got to meet it, you know, at the right time. Mm-hmm. I think that's more of the question than, you know, Trent dropped a stinker on us because I don't think that's the case. Good point. Paul, out of five stars. Yeah, I'm going to give it a four. Uh, you know, where where I have my, my qualms, I really have a, just the utmost respect for the production value, you know, given, you know, it's his fault that you see my background here. But, uh, you know, it, the, the fact that, you know, he just really digs in and, and goes all out on getting the right sound and getting the right texture and timbre. I mean, look at the Fragile album. It's it's really kind of his dark side of the moon. Um, I'm sorry, take that back. The Wall. I'm sorry. I'm, uh-huh. I'm tired and we're, we're doing a podcast and I'm trying to come up with memory here late at night. But, uh, you know, bottom line, it was something that was completely a different step. And this is too, but it, it comes down to, you know, he really massages the sound so it tells the story as well and no matter where some of the things that might um put a little speed bump in the path for me there will still be something that you know at least i could when i hear the music i can see the texture of the album cover i can see the the feel and the colors that he conveys with it in that regard if that makes sense yeah totally uh, steve i have a question for you too sure um because i kind of know where paul comes from where he gets like liking nine inch nails and i know where i could like it from because i live my own life so <laughs> it's pretty easy but uh like you're such like a happy guy like what but you've always been into like cool music too i mean ever since I, i've met you you were always on that kind of uh vibe of really open to things but like what mm-hmm. so for you who nine inch nails seemingly in my head doesn't fit for you but you like it like what makes you like it the answer goes back, uh, in this case, to uh, 89 or 90. I uh, can't remember exactly when your sister came to visit at IU and brought Pretty Hate Machine with her. So that was the first time that I had listened. Um, and everybody on the floor really dug it. 
Uh, it was good stuff. Um, and the, the follow-up, the, the weird thing about this, yeah, there's angry lyrics, um, lots of aggression, <laughs> lots of mood. I just had this conversation again uh, with Marianne yesterday. Um, we were talking about um, Corey Taylor and Slipknot. And again, why in the world do I like groups with <laughs> very hateful, you know, mean lyrics? You know, I guess all of us um, can sympathize with people who've come from rough backgrounds and have that anger, I suppose, why I like it. But um, I'm not sure. I'm in a bit of a dilemma. All of my tattoos seem to be of bad guys. And um, most of the music I listen to seems to be angry. So I'm not sure what that says about me. But uh, typically, you're right, Tony. I'm a pretty happy guy. But the other part of that is, musically, um, I'd like to think most of the people I listen to are really strong. And obviously, Trent falls into that. Um, there's always a difference from album to album. You don't get the same thing over and over. Um, Paul talked about the textures and all that kind of stuff earlier. I think that's it. I mean, it's just the whole package. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And, and maybe you just let other people be angry for you. Maybe that's why you're so <laughs> <laughs> laid back. Indeed. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I think that there's something to be said for that too. I mean, just to go on the, on the broad spectrum of things is I think good artists just, you know, people gravitate towards them. Have, being old enough now and not caring about segment and who you listen to and who you like and no such thing as guilty pleasures. Like I can respect Lady Gaga, you know, for what she does. And, mm. um, and I can sit and watch Damien Rice, just a man, a guitar, you know, like capture a whole audience. I can see Nine Inch Nails. Uh, there's just so many people out there. I think when they're following their own path and doing their thing and they're true artists, like, uh, you don't have to necessarily feel a certain way. I think that you just respect what they're doing. Absolutely. Like just plain Paul. Um, that brings us to, um, I, I just, I'd be remiss if I didn't jump in on our nostalgia tour. Yes. <laughs> uh, this summer, um, I was able, my son's 20 years old, and uh, he has been indoctrinated into the music that I've liked his entire life. And luckily, he's jumped on, uh, jumped in with both feet. A huge Smashing Pumpkins fan. Huge Pearl Jam fan, obviously loves um, the classics like Pink Floyd and The Who. Um, so over this last year with him, I've been able to go uh, to Louisville twice. We saw Roger Waters uh, one time, which was an amazing concert. Uh, a month ago, we went back to Louisville and we saw Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, they uh, played a, a big 31-song show. It was over three hours. It was amazing. And then uh, two weeks ago... I was able to take him to Pearl Jam at Wrigley Field. So if I can just get Getty and Alex out of retirement one last time, I can uh, get him to rush, and then uh, I can die a happy man. So it's been a really cool year as far as being able to share, you know, my childhood favorites and the the people I loved growing up uh, with my son. So it's been a really cool summer for me. Yeah, and I'm kind of... um a homebody so i don't get out much as much as i love music uh the disdain that i have for crowds sometimes trumps <laughs> live music so uh, except yes except i did go with you to pearl jam <laughs> which was an amazing yes. experience and i read somewhere like kind of like pearl J- or wrigley field is kind of their like second home like it's like it's like seattle but since eddie's from 
near there and and they've kind of taken it over for the years and you did have that vibe that they really love to be there um i went and saw tool for the first time who's one of my favorite bands i just never seen them live and that was a that was a great one so i'm starting to get out and obviously i'm going to see nine inch nails this year so uh it's a great summer into fall for me as well paul nice I am, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm much like Tony, I'm, I'm a busy homebody with, you know, family and such and projects, but I did catch Anthrax earlier this year. Uh, they toured with Kill Switch Engage and Havoc, so it was a 90s thrash fest with, uh, you know, kind of a modern band that loves to play homage to the, the early thrash. Um, Anthrax is one of my favorite bands in the whole world. I've seen them. I'd say seven or eight times at least now in different iterations. John Bush era, seen, you know, with Belladonna back and uh, actually got to see them with the full original lineup with Dan Spitz in Fort Wayne uh, back in like 2005 or 2006. So it was really cool just to see the, the various, um, you know, adventures there. But, uh, you know, I, I do look forward. I'm going to try to go to Nine Inch Nails if my schedule allows. Um, and, you know, certainly keeping an eye open for some other available dates. And, you know, for me with my schedule, it just comes down to, is it uh, an intimate show? Can I get in and, and enjoy the show without, you know, again, big crowds? Uh, I tend to like that because the band plays on that a lot. Um, I saw Corrosion of Conformity a couple years ago in a smaller venue and it <laughs> ripped my face off as a prime example. Um, you know, and also too, is it, is it one where, um, you know, I'm budget conscious. I mean, I certainly understand the artists need to get paid, but, you know, sometimes, you know, if it's going to compromise a car payment just to go see a, a show, I, I have to really kind of think and justify sure. it in the grand scheme of things. I get that. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I didn't mention, but, um, I'm going to go see Ozzy <laughs> later this year. There was Stone Sour, which, I've seen, I saw Stone Sour earlier. That was great. So I'm really looking forward to that. But there's part of me knows the legacy of Ozzy, the the brilliance, the greatness. But there's this other part of me that kind of is curious of what I'm going to get <laughs> during this show. Uh, which which Ozzy will be there? What's he going to look like? Uh, I hope it's I hope it's a good one. <laughs> hope he's healthy and uh, can do his thing. Absolutely. Okay. Here's a question for you guys. In in your time of enjoying music, uh, you know, be it from a kid to now, what's one of the most memorable shows you've attended? Oh, wow. Um, go ahead, Steve. Do you want to go first, Tony? Oh, you can go ahead. Um, as with anybody, there are probably 10 shows we could each just name off quickly that were brilliant. Uh, but one that I'm so happy that I went to was Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, I believe it was the year before he died. Um it was incredible. Uh, it was at Deer Creek. We had seats pretty low in the pavilion. Um, you know, he sat on the front of the stage and played Little Wing. Um, it was just an incredible show, and I'm so happy that I was able to see that before he passed. That's awesome. Uh, which probably takes that up a few notches on some of the other shows I saw. Yeah, that sounds really cool. <laughs> um, I would say... Well, like, I did not know that Nine Inch Nails was coming to my little college of Ball State. So it wasn't like, you know, waiting all this time. It was one of my friends called me and said, did you know that your favorite band's going to be at Ball State? And, you know, I didn't. It was back in the days of Spin and Rolling Stone and whatever. And there's just no real good way to know. And there's no way I would think, you know, little town in Indiana would be getting Nine Inch Nails. But it was the, you know, opens with Marilyn Manson 
goes right into Jim Rose Circus Sideshow, closes with Nine Inch Nails, and it was, you know, in the 90s, and, the, and they had the big screen with the video that was timed to the music, and so I think for me, it was just like my first experience of the my absolute favorite performer is like right there doing his thing in front of me, you know? And so I'd been to other concerts and liked them, but a lot of times it was like kind of festival style or out in the grass or whatever. And so, you know, this had an atmosphere to it. It was dark through and through, obviously opening with Marilyn Manson, but um, it was just gritty and dark. And, and it was what I needed in a kind of, not to get too deep into it, but like, you know, I had turned down a couple of art things outside of the state. So New York and, you know, Georgia and stuff like that. Places where I felt like I would have been more in with artists and I kind of settled for Indiana and part of that was economics and part of it was family. So, you know, I think I always like crave something that's like gritty and on the cutting edge because, you know, I'm kind of tethered and I, and I do that to myself and, and being older now, I don't regret those decisions to stick around here and be around family and stuff like that. But uh, the reason I think it had such an impact on me was it was my favorite artist. It was way out of what you would think you would get from Muncie, Indiana. And um, and then they like showed up and performed. So all in all, that was like probably my best one. All right. Paul, tell us about your Hanson concert. I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, it was Mbopalicious. Uh, <laughs> man, I'll tell you what. I, uh, I was at that same show. Um, I was kind of torn between talking about that one or the one I'm going to bring up so, since it is a contrast from it. But b- before I do, let me just say, Tony, do you remember um, after Jim Rose uh, had ended their performance and Nails was getting ready to go on the sea of people that oh, yeah. rushed from the top of the, mm-hmm. the uh, you know auditorium down into the crowd and I actually saw a guy drop kick a security guard to get over the gate and I mean I thought <laughs> oh my gosh yes. what have I gotten myself into but you're absolutely right that was like one of the most intense you know visual experiences ever uh, in Sonic at that at that point too but uh, the, no, the show I wanted to bring up just because of the the surreal experience of it was a Lollapalooza, Lollapalooza if I can talk. Uh, it was like 96 or 97. <clears throat> the Tool and yeah. the uh, Prodigy were the headliners. Um, but it was a fun day because I got to see a bunch of different bands I you know, I've, I was familiar with but never really immersed myself into. So I fell in love with Tricky that day. So Trip Hop was really um, you know, becoming more apparent in my uh, sonic experiences. Uh, the Marley family were awesome. Uh, but then... I went over to the second stage and there were some little bands playing, you know, it's just a little tucked in corner and, and there wasn't a big crowd. Um, and this band from Japan played kind of knocked my socks off and I bought their CD, but then a band called failure popped up and, uh, performed and it was Les Paul's drop D goodness, just heavy, slow, sludgy, incredible. And after the set, the guys just went and sat at a table and I went over and I chatted with him and said hello. So I met Ken and Ken Andrews, who's gone off to produce some incredible music by himself and for other artists, um, as well as his lead guitar player. And both of them signed my sticker. And uh, I put it in the CD when I got home and I put it away and didn't think about it. And then, you know, when I go to college, Perfect Circle's kind of up and coming and, and emerging. And uh, I pull out the failure CD because I was in the mood to listen to it and uh, looked at the sticker and I looked at the liner notes and it was Troy Van Leeuwen that was uh, playing guitar with Ken Andrews. So I got his autograph and had no idea who he was and had no idea he was going to write one of my That's favorite awesome. albums of all time. It is awesome. Um, so, hey, that just brings us to... Um, what are we listening to right now? 
Um, we all like to, to dabble in new things, uh, search out our new new favorite band. So, uh, Tony, what's grabbed you lately? Okay. Um, well, I mean, between what I'm listening to by other artists and what I'm listening to in my own headphones, uh, I'm luckily right now working on some stuff with a friend, um, wrote some lyrics, um, and then Clay, your son, <laughs> uh, his friends, you know, wrote music, and Paul came over here and helped set me up, and so recording a song called Redemption right now, um, and so that's really cool. It's a really the first venture into something that I'm concerned about with the production of, and then uh, listening to, um, I'm really stuck right now on, um, there's a song called Nothing Personal by Night Riots. Just got some serious energy. It's fun to drive to, and then uh, I'm right. I'm doing a lot of writing right now, like for some, you know, short stories and poetry and different things I'm doing. So, I've been kind of listening to uh, "When Under Ether" by uh, P.J. Harvey lately, and it's just like totally depressing. <laughs> but it gets my head in the space that I need to be in to write. So, uh, I'd say "Night Riots." Um, Nothing personal and PJ Harvey's went under ether kind of stuck in my playlist in the last week. Excellent. Paul, what's new? <clears throat> I, well, I mentioned Synthwave earlier, and that's kind of been um, something I've been pretty heavily immersed in as of late. Uh, for those that may have not have heard the genre yet, it's very um, driven by nostalgia, a lot of synths, a lot of pulsing bass lines. Uh, it just really sounds like you're taken back to 1985 and you're getting ready to either you know get in the car with Mad Max or even uh, you know go on an adventure with the Goonies, but with a you know kind of a sci-fi flair. Um, you know, a lot of it I listen to for a because it makes me feel you know young at heart. Also, too, it just really is something that makes me feel good. Um, you know, much like I love Nine Inch Nails and the angst and the energy that it provides, but at the same time, some of these tunes just really kind of you know, with the the hustle and grind of of life, it really just kind of lifts me up in in the right ways. And then you know, much like Tony creating, I I create music on a regular basis and working on a new album uh the tentative title is neon nova so it's going to have kind of that outer space science flair you know influenced by star wars star trek you know anything that uh you know takes the mind into wonder and and so do you prefer um i mean you posted a video the other day on facebook and you were just uh killing it on the axe (laughs) so do you prefer playing guitar more now or uh messing with your synth to be honest with you um you know it's whatever the song needs um i've played guitar for over 20 years now and i've been playing synthesizer for close to 15 uh, in terms of on a serious level um even though i had keyboards before i had guitars i was just kind of you know there were toys back then but um you know now i try to use both of them interchangeably and now the real challenge is is to get the guitar to complement the synthwave songs and not overpower it and turn it into a complete metal tune or anything like that i want to make sure that it it sits nicely and and, uh from a production standpoint the goal is to really let things kind of be orchestrated and and if i'm visualizing a band they all have to play nicely yeah sounds good and stevie i got it sounds like you're uh recreating rush from the 80s i like (laughs) Uh, let me jump in (laughs) yeah let me jump in one second because and I, i do want to get to what you're what you're listening to too but since Paul mentioned the Commodore 64 and making music and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> if you can, if we put a link somewhere or if anybody listening can like search, uh, just plain Paul data of the East Alkaline, 
It is mm-hmm. phenomenal, and I'm not saying that because Paul's my friend. Like I will be on the treadmill listening to that thing, and um, it just incorporates tons of good sounds. But the production's high, the the grooves are great, and like people need to be checking that album out. So, yeah. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, and if, if you do want to check it out, not to be shameless plug guy, but it is on Bandcamp. So just look up Just Plain Paul, all one word, Data yeah, of the East. One time Perhaps it. we can produce a review for BreakTheForth.com. Yes, we should. Stay tuned. Speaking of shameless plugs, <laughs> we're all... <laughs> no, there's no shame here. No, I'm just kidding. It. I'm selling lemonade down the street tomorrow, if anybody... Uh, go ahead. Um, Stevie, what do you listen to? Um, here recently, um, gosh... <laughs> It's not even recently, I guess. For the past couple of months, um, listened to a lot of Ghost. Preparing for the the concert coming up here in a couple of months, um, our mutual friend Jeremy uh, introduced me. I guess I don't know, probably last year, to their uh, the album at the time, which was Meloria, and um, now they've got a new one, Prequel, out. And uh, when I heard the band was was metal. Um, I went in with this notion that it was going to be metal, and that is not really what it is. It's almost rock opera. It's the craziest thing ever um, with these nameless ghouls and uh, the lead singers, Cardinal Copia now. <laughs> Previously, uh, <laughs> uh, had another name, but uh, they play this off, you know, as this, this big show. I love it. Um, and the music is so diverse. There is some uh, heavy metal. There's a lot of 80s reference going on um especially the newest song rats really sounds like it was pulled straight from the 80s but then you go to other uh songs on there with saxophone um and lots of keyboards and it just feels like you are immersed in a big show it feels like an opera so i am super stoked to see this concert uh in a couple months uh, just to see what this is going to be like because uh they're really engaging and i yeah, they are the most catchy band. <laughs> you just cannot help but listen. They're so catchy. It's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely. And to tie into that, too, um, you know, Ghost is, you know, one of those bands that is certainly uh, encapsulating art visually as well as sonically. Um, to your point with saxophone, for those that are interested in the synthwave genre, uh, The Midnight, excuse me. <clears throat> The Midnight is one particular artist that uses a lot of like the 80s style saxophone with reverb and whatnot. And you feel like you're watching a cop drama when you're listening to uh, to the tunes. That's it's cool. great. It's fantastic. I will have to give them more of a listen, Ghost, uh, more of a listen, because I, I don't know how you guys are, but I feel like I'm aware of a lot of bands. But there's just so much out there. I mean, it was kind of reliant on what your friends had and what you could afford back in the day. You know, kind of kicking it back to the nostalgic factor. And now it's like, you can just skip through songs. Like, and I hate that to some degree. <laughs> I hate that I could just like give something 30 seconds and then pass judgment on it. At the same time, I can consume about 4,000 times the amount of music these days than I could back then. <laughs> so I think it's the trade-off. Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty sad that my garage has like uh-huh. three tubs full of all my old CDs. And uh, every once in a while I'll dig them out because there's an artist that I'm, I'm itching to listen to and it happens to be the one that isn't released on iTunes or right. Apple Music or whatever <laughs> the case may be. Yeah, I think we've got an entire other show on our former listening habits and uh, where the, the music industry is going. So I think we will 
definitely save that talk for another one because I think we that one deserves an entire show. For sure. Um, <laughs> we're going to start a uh, part of our program where every every time we do this, we're going to introduce a challenge. And so tonight, I'm going to introduce this challenge, and I'm going to challenge Tony and Paul to answer this. But we're also going to challenge any of our listeners, and uh, you can respond uh, with hashtag a wanderings wool gathering on Twitter. And the challenge is this. I'd like you to think of a singer of a band. I want you to pluck that singer out and put him in another band or her, him or her. And which band would actually benefit from having this singer in that band, creating an entirely unique new sound that will be awesome. Uh. I love this. Yeah. And then, uh, so are we uh, revealing that on the next show? We will reveal your answers on the next show, and we will decide which person on Twitter at hashtag WanderingsWoolGathering um, gives us the best answer. And that person will win our accolades. <laughs> because we have nothing to give at this point. <laughs> no, let's throw something out there. We can do... Um... Let's do like a twenty dollar uh, Amazon gift card because you can we can send the code to them on, from the back and they can add it to their account. You heard it here, folks. You win the challenge That's twenty dollar gift card to Amazon. Yes. So you guys pitch in nine bucks a piece. I'll throw in two, and that person will win <laughs> a twenty dollar gift card. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! <laughs> you drive a hard bargain, sir. Uh, yeah. Excellent. All right. Last thoughts, fellas. Uh, yeah, this is fun. I, uh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that, you know, thanks for listening and, you know, please continue the journey with us. We will go through some of the, the fun parts of music in the past and, you know, maybe we'll get a chance to share some of the things that uh, drove us crazy about, you know, the, the, uh, misgivings of having to have physical copies yeah. and whatnot. And I think, um, like Paul said, you know, I hope people do listen and continue to listen. Um, I think too, what I like about it is, no one out there really knows how closely intertwined these circles are and how kind of odd it is that we all know each other and either, you know, have some sort of, uh, tied beyond music and all the entertainment things. We're actually friends and, and come from different places, but you know, that whole, for me personally, like I love impractical jokers and, uh, I love uh, good mythical morning and things like that. And I think <laughs> those people that have been close friends for a long time and are in this world, just kind of doing stuff, talking and having conversations, uh, it's interesting. So I hope that we can, uh, do that at some point too, where somebody like can kind of really hone in on how we interact with each other because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all like just really, really good friends. Awesome. Paul, where can we find you on social media? Well, it's uh, typically just the word Just Plain Paul. I'm uh, there on Instagram, so if you want to see snippets of what I'm up to musically, uh, please go there. Um, I'm sometimes on Twitter, uh, usually interacting with the Synthwave community, so find me at Just Plain Paul also. And if you want to find me on Facebook, it is JPP Invasion. Awesome. Tony? Um, well, I'm currently setting up some new stuff on social media, so I'll probably do that uh, <laughs> later on down the line. Sounds good. And you can find me, Steve. Um, I am Foggy's Pal on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at uh, my website. Actually, it's not my website. I'm just helping run it. It's uh, breakthefourth.com. 
And uh, we cover all things entertainment, and um, you'll actually find this podcast hosted there as well. So uh, come check us out there. And I hope you guys will come back next time. Uh, don't have the complete show set up, but we are definitely going to review the new FX Twin EP, Collapse. It comes out September 14th. We're going to let you know if that's any good. You can uh, actually check out the first video, T69 Collapse, right now. It is a trippy video. Have you guys seen it yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. I'm going to right oh, after yeah. this, but yeah. the song is on Spotify yeah. also. So, Yeah, yeah, the video is really cool. I can't wait. Richard D. James will never do a video without his face in it in some way. Shape, <laughs> so he's frightened me before, not saying something. So, yeah, as <laughs> soon as we get done with this, that's where I'm headed. Excellent. Cool. All right. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye.